0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. So we are back with part two of our book club on Angela Chen's book, Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex, which came out pretty recently, came out in 2020. And we just got to talking. And chatting, because we have a lot of stuff to cover. And so, yes, this is a two-parter. <laughs>
1: yes, and as it says in her title, there's a lot of implications that go beyond just being ace, but what this reveals for all of society.
0: Whew, that's a lot. It is. It is a lot. It's a lot to untangle. Um, if you haven't listened to part one yet, I think you'll be fine to l- start with this one, but we cover a lot of ground in that one as well. So, go back and check it out. For this one, we're really we're really going to hit the ground running. Because this was something that really stood out to me. We ended part one talking about this complicated, convoluted mess around women and sex when it comes to feminism and being liberated and being empowered and how really messy that can get. And this next section really relates to that, which is this whole idea that Chen goes into that being asexual, especially a woman being asexual, is a whole made-up idea. And it was made up by misogynistic men to sexually repress women. Which is interesting, given the our very stereotypical and harmful understanding that men always want sex. And le- I mean, I guess the idea would be you only have sex with them, that one man? Right. I don't know. But okay, here, here is a quote. Being asexual means you can't have passion, he'd say. If you don't have passion, you can't write. Therefore, if you don't have sex, you can't be a writer. Identifying as ace means you're brainwashed by the patriarchy and you need to work harder to fight that. Otherwise, you can't be a feminist and you certainly can't be an artist. So this was a story, um, Chen interviews a lot of people for this book. And this was a story someone told her about their experience meeting an older male writer. And this person wanted to be a writer as well. and his reaction to their insistence that they were asexual and that they wanted an asexual character in the book that they were writing.
1: Yeah, can I say this is the section that I almost threw everything? Because uh, <laughs> immediately I'm like, he's grooming. Oh my God, he's grooming her yes. and gaslighting her. What the f***? But also, can we also put in that this dude was a friend of her father's? Yeah. That connected her to get a mentor so she can write. So he was doing something nice, the father. Mm-hmm. This dude, who was the friend of the father, had a wife, had, you know, children. And by the way, she was a young teenager and he was saying these things to her because he was grooming her. Yes. Super gross. Super gross. Uh, that was a whole different conversation. I was like, because at the very beginning, when you hear the story of her talking about him being like, well, and I was like, oh no, this is about mm-hmm. to go real bad. And it yes. did, but it didn't go it, real bad. But I'm just saying like, I'm like, You know what this is leading to. We know. Right.
0: Well, and then when this person turned down his advances, he was like, okay, that's it. I'm not helping you anymore. And everything you've ever written is trash and go away. (laughs) Right. Real, real class act. But the idea here being, yeah, sex with him would liberate you. That he wanted to have sex with this young person. And then... around uh, in that section as well, there was this idea of the, the pressure of the one night stand and that it can be very liberating and how a not small amount of asexual people try something like that because they think, oh, if I just do it, then maybe I can prove to myself that I do want sex and I am, you know, in my mind, empowered or liberated because that has gotten all mixed up with sex. And I did the same thing. And I remember... I was, it was like jumping off a cliff or something. I was so scared. And I was just like, you have to just do it, just do it. I want to be the type of person that can do this and that will enjoy it. And we like got out, we were, you know, almost all of our clothes. And then I just freaked out and was like, I can't do this. And ran and left the room and never saw that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh,
1: yeah, no, I had a similar experience, except I did have sex. Uh, I was super drunk and it wasn't because I wanted to get it over with. It was, I was, I wanted because I was like 26, 24, I was older and so, and I had leaned so hard into uh, being a virgin because, you know, Jesus. And then realizing, wait, what is happening? I don't know if I, I truly understand any of this. And I did have a lot of sexual de- desires, being very sexualized at a really young age. I've always been sexual. And that's kind of that connotation. And, and we've not talked about it, about those who have been uh, sexually abused being hypersexualized throughout. And I was super sexualized, but because, again, trauma and all of that, you know, and then religion, and honestly, I wouldn't say I'm not saying anything negative in that. It kept me safe. I think there's a lot of things that I could have gone through or a lot of heartbreak and/or really, really dangerous situations. Don't get me wrong, bad things still happen to me even in those moments. And I did some quody fingers, y'all. Uh, <laughs> in those moments, but like at 24-25, I'm like, I really do want to have sex. This is something that I fantasize and I, I like being touched and all these things. I'm also really afraid of relationships in general because again, sex and romance not something that's a thing to me at that point in time because i'm so overly traumatized and i've used religion to heal or cover that band, you know cover it up with that religion band-aid which did not do anything except for excuses for me specifically Mm -hmm. and so i went through that like i'm just i'm just gonna do it Mm -hmm. poor dude so oh. I have to worry about that because it was sad, short, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Not at all what I had hoped for because, again, it doesn't meet expectations. You're yeah. quite, you know, misled by media oh, yeah. and, you know, me thinking I'm going to be swept off my feet. It's going to be the yeah. best experience ever. Magical.
0: <sighs> yeah. I I was was just talking to your friend about
1: this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel more (laughs) sad about him than I do me. I will say that in a weird context. Like, (laughs) huh, okay. Well. he really was trying. He was trying to make it special. Even though I'd never met him before and that was our first date. It was the one (laughs) I said. I stopped talking to him immediately after.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that myth of the like perfect virgin sex is very damaging. (laughs) Right. A lot of a lot of expectations that are way too high and can never possibly be met. And that's not yeah. good for either. <laughs> Anybody. Right. Unfortunately
1: multiple. for us, yeah, the comedic version, which is supposed to be all about laughing, is the truer version. <laughs> <laughs> for most, For many of us who has built this up and then just like, I yeah. guess to. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I've had a few friends who have like, nah, it was legit. Like oh, a few. Yeah. And I have a few friends who's like, talked about how painful it was. So I was like, oh no. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that, I think there's a space for it to be, especially if you're with someone that you trust and that you yeah. feel something for. Um, I think there's a space for it to not be great sex, but for it to be really sweet and awkward. If that yeah. makes sense, because like, you're both in it. You're both in it together, right? And if you can, like, kind of, you know, be open about, oh, this is sort of awkward. I think there's something like that can be
1: great. That um, could be a good story to tell later.
0: Yes, kind of all learning. Okay.
1: That's weird. <laughs>
0: you don't have to. Um, uh, So here's another quote. I am what sexuality scholar Lisa Downing calls sex critical, aware of both women's personal agency and the continuing inequalities of society. It is possible to encourage others to experiment while trusting them if they say sex doesn't do anything for them. Someone shouldn't be feted either because their sex acts are very kinky or because their number of partners is very low. It is cause for celebration whenever anyone is to the best of their ability, making their own choices free from pressure and also working to change the social and political structures that will let everyone else have that same sexual freedom and freedom of other kinds too. Which I like. I like just uh, really,
1: I mean, that's just the level of just trusting that people know themselves and, and accepting it and not trying to change people's minds. I don't understand that level unless it's a therapeutic level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is tricky. Don't get me wrong. I, I've asked these questions of myself of like, what if it's just because I was raised in a religious environment and that's why I don't like sex? Like, I have these questions. But ultimately...
1: But even you know, still, if that is your reason, that's yeah, okay. That's,
0: that's true.
1: That's, you know, like, it's kind of the same thing. Again, you and I are talking about, especially when we talk about trauma, especially like, yeah, there might be a reason you don't like sex and it's because of trauma and it triggers... If it's not something that you want, if that's not something I want, then why are other people pushing us? Like, If we feel completely content in being where we are and understand that some of these things make us uncomfortable because of A, B, C, and D, whether it's religious suppression or whether it's a traumatic background or whether it's just because your body just don't want it, then why not just let it be? That's not something that—it's not going to kill me not to have sex. It's not going right. to kill them not to have sex. like it does. And if you don't want children, then that's on you as well. And that's fine. If that's mm-hmm. not the way you want to have children, or if you can't have children that way, it is what it is. There's no reason for us to come in and judge that. Right. Be empathetic to that and understanding to that. Yes. Right. I, I think that is
0: one of the most, one of the things that really impacted me the most reading this book is that very thing of like, you know what, maybe you have been through some trauma. And maybe there are a lot of reasons why you don't want to have sex, but that doesn't mean you can't identify as asexual, and that's fine. Like, if you, if you don't want to have sex, you don't want to have sex, and that's fine.
1: <laughs> right. Again. Yep. I feel like that's just the whole, let people be. If it's let, not causing mm. you harm, let people be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that's also kind of going back to what we were saying about how it gets mixed up with feminism, because I feel like I should want sex. I feel like it's right. like I, that's the thing. So letting go of that aspect of not trying to make myself into something I'm not and not beating myself up for for not wanting it. But yeah, 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 it can get people feel like they can just comment on all kinds of things that they really shouldn't. Going back to my mayo
1: uh, (laughs) comparison, my parents, my mother did not accept the fact that I didn't like mayo and try to sneak it in to make Mm -hmm. me think that I would like mayo or to be able to say, see, you you like it fine. (laughs) It was such a weird flex that I was like, why are you doing this? I don't want it. (laughs) I don't like it. I've told you I don't like it. It takes extra effort to put it on than it does to (laughs) not put it on. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. But she really needed to know that she could change my mind about a condiment that I still do not like to this day. Y'all, I still don't <laughs> like it to this day. I have a very big immersion of mayo. Anyway. <laughs> this is actually secretly the, Meyer, the mayo podcast. It's true. <laughs> Sam hates mayo, the podcast. <laughs> um, so another quote from the book, as you know, is a sociology book. You can't go out because she's done all the research for us just talking mm-hmm. about it. If the phrase compulsory sexuality sounds familiar, that's because it borrows from the poet Adrian Witch's concept of compulsory heterosexuality. In her 1980 essay, Compulsory Heterosexuality and Lesbian Existence, Rich argued that heterosexuality is not merely a sexual orientation that happens to be the orientation of most people. Heterosexuality is a political institution that is taught and conditioned and reinforced. Compulsory heterosexuality is not the belief that most people are heterosexual. It is a set of assumptions and behaviors that only heterosexual love is innate, that women need men as the social and economic protectors, that support the idea of heterosexuality as the default and only option. It makes people believe that heterosexuality is so widespread only because it is, quote, Natural, Even though, as Rich writes, the failure to examine heterosexuality as an institution is like failing to admit that the economic system called capitalism or the caste system of racism is maintained by a variety of forces, including both physical violence and false consciousness. Building off this idea, compulsory sexuality, an idea central to ace discourse, is not the belief that most people want sex and have sex, and that sex can be pleasurable. Compulsory sexuality is a set of assumptions and behaviors that support the idea that every normal person is sexual, that not wanting, socially approved, sex is unnatural and wrong, and that people who don't care about sexuality are missing out on an utterly necessary experience. Yeah. So this is kind
0: of going back to that assumption we've been talking about this whole time of kind of this assumption that we see pretty much everywhere in religion and the media and our law that people want sex and they want heterosexual sex. And that's anything that doesn't fit that is abnormal. And it's something that a lot of people that Chen interviewed expressed. And then there's like one in particular where she was talking about sort of the male asexual experience. And we do have this idea that men, and even gay men, because she she talked to uh, people in that community as well, want a lot of sex. And if they don't, then something's wrong with him. And so a lot of people who later figured out that they were asexual were trying to fit into that because they, they assumed it too. This sort of compulsory heterosexuality idea of this is... You, you were raised in that. That's what you see. So you're trying to fit into that as well. Right. Which I, yeah, was interesting. I'd never heard of that concept before, but when I read it, I was like, right. Oh. That makes
1: sense. <laughs> it does. And I get where the ace. Feminists are like, I'm trying to, I, I don't want to bring down feminism and people are saying I need to be this and this and this. Because when we talked about recently the narrative that those random dudes who were like, women don't like sex. Women mm-hmm. don't want sex. Women can't have an orgasm. Mm-hmm. That's only a man thing that I can understand like that. That feels like you're right. going into that narrative. And you're like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. But I am. I don't believe that. That's just for me personally. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we have jerks like that who uses this narrative as a way of saying, see, we were right. All the other women are liars or hoes. And it's such a sad, like, why? Why can't it just be? Why can't it just be?
0: Yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Um, And I remember she, Chen, in the book, uses the example of like a Fox News host or guest that was like, Oh, that just means she doesn't want to have sex. I guess I'm asexual too, or whatever. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they could be, and they just don't want to admit it. It was true. Um, it's yeah, yeah, and it, it is so complicated, right? Because I, again, I'm like, I'm all for it. I think people, if if that's what you want, then I want you to have it and safely in right. and, and a way that you're not judged. Right. And that's it does get tricky because I feel like when I there's just so many political, historically political ideas and and repression around women and sex and sexuality that when it it feels like I, everything I, I say has to come with an asterisk. <laughs> right.
1: I mean, again, it's kind of the same when we talk about societal implications, those who are stay-at-home moms, women who want to stay at home with their children, if they Mm -hmm. are feminists, they feel like this is fighting against feminism. And it doesn't have to be. Again, this is all about the choice. Like, I want the right to say what I want, point Mm -hmm. blank. And if that means, yes, staying at home and and being the wife at home and and being there for my husband or my partner, great. But if it's also the choice of like, no, I don't want to children. I don't want all of that. I want to do my thing and go out and do my thing, you know, have a job and a career satisfying to me. That narrative, both of those should be welcome because it Mm -hmm. is that choice as long as one is not being forced into something and or being disproportionately placed in the responsibility level. Again, we've talked about this whole like during the pandemic, especially women's uptick of like so much work that includes, you know, maintaining the home and and, and, uh, teaching the kids while the husbands are still doing their nine-to-five and doing their thing. And again, Mm -hmm. obviously, that's a heteronormative uh, relationship. But we saw that as a complaint. It was a thing. They were like, what the hell is happening? How did we backtrack when for so long we finally got to the point of equal? But again, that's the whole other thing that we've talked about many times. But the overall thing is having the ability to make that choice for ourselves. Point blank.
0: Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, okay, here's another quote I want to include. One of the more obvious examples of compulsory sexuality is the fear of a sexless population. It is a great irony that despite hand-wringing over loose morals, Americans are having less sex than before. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 41% of high school students in 2015 reported having had sex, down from 54% in 1991. As for American adults in the 2010s, they had sex about nine fewer times per year than a quarter century earlier. Such findings have prompted cover stories about sex recessions. A recession, naturally, is not a good thing. Articles about how the sex recession could lead to an economic recession and hand-wringing comments over how young people are doing it wrong and are boring now. (laughs) Economic worries could be to blame or anxiety over unclear dating norms or the popularity of Netflix and social media. Americans, according to some researchers, have traded the pleasures of genital stimulation for the pleasure of likes on social media and binge watching the Great British Baking Show. In one Washington Post article about the decline of sex, an 18 year old is described as sitting in front of, quote, several screens simultaneously, a work project, a YouTube clip, a video game. For him, abandoning this setup for a date night or a one night stand, quote, seems like a waste. Often implicit in this framing are these questions. Isn't it sad that people are having less sex and that a one-night stand now seems like a waste? Isn't it pitiful to be playing video games instead of feeling sexual pleasure? Shouldn't we be worried that people don't care about sex anymore? For truly passionate people, sex, the pursuit, the experience is always better than a movie, a book, a game. The loser of today has three computer screens and no sex drive. Yes. So... I wanted to put that in there for a lot of reasons. But like even reading that, I immediately was like, oh no, what's wrong? Is it economic?" Like I was, I, as someone who doesn't want sex, had that like initial, people don't want sex anymore. Oh no. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's just so ingrained. It's so ingrained that that is what you should want and that is better than pretty much anything else,
1: I guess. Again, we've talked about this in several ways because there's a lot of connotations of this type of, oh, no, what's happening? Whether mm-hmm. it's, oh, no, uh, traditional families and traditional yeah, relationships yeah. are going out the window. So that means this is disrupting it. So we're more worried about tradition more mm-hmm. so than actual sex. And or yeah. we can look at the, the QAnon hold where they're like, have children, we need more white children, which was a right. big pledge and how that the society and feminism and social media essentially we're trying to kill off children. Yeah. So, you know, there's a whole bigger conversation to this, obviously. And we've talked a little bit about it. But there's definitely this weirdness of like, yeah, we should have... Isn't that better? Just have less... What? Like, we're running out of resources at this point, so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so fascinating to me how we can be like, young people don't have sex, that's so bad. And then they're like, oh my God, they're not having sex. I wonder if these are just boomers who feel guilty of their own past. And so they're like, uh, oh, we need to keep it up.
0: <laughs> that's, you know, that's possible. Also, I mean, I don't want to, I don't doubt that this is true. I don't doubt that these numbers are true. But I am curious. In any kind of survey like that, there's a part of me that's like, especially if you're asking like high school students, I'm sure some people weren't being entirely honest in either either direction because you know, I I myself you know would have hedged over what I would have said just because it
1: seems like such a big deal when you're at that age, right? Well, also you have to remember. Like Again, social media does make a big difference uh, because a lot of the things that we knew back then uh, before social media, for me, I didn't have a cell phone in high school (laughs) yet and any of that. We just all hung out. We called each other, went down to uh, Walmart, parking lot and drove around <laughs> yeah. not even playing that is exactly and yep. then there apparently because I wasn't one of the cool kids because I was just told this recently by an old school friend he was like you know remember that so and so place where we would go party out in the woods and I was like no no what? <laughs> like I was I never invited to existence. this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Essentially>, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. I was not cool. Uh, but they, they were like, yeah, yeah. And, so, and they called it so-and-so farms or so-and-so land and you, they would have bonfires and would hang out every Friday and that's what they do. And everybody just showed up. That's what mm-hmm. they do. And now with the fact that we have communications and able to like pick and choose our groups instead of just going out and partying. Right. Not that I didn't pick and choose, obviously, because they didn't pick or choose me. It's fine. <laughs> but like, it makes a difference. And that's kind of like, there was a lot of stupid things that would happen on that level. Mm-hmm. And that's changed, of course, not completely, because the stupid things still happen. Now it's just more public and now on videos, yeah. which yeah. could also be the other reason. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be caught on video.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I know it's kind of a joke and it's much more complicated than this, but there is some... Validity to that, right, of like, now, if you have a phone, there's just a whole whole world's open to you. Right. Whereas before that, if you didn't have maybe a TV or, or you're like in my family, we had the one TV and only the three channels or four channels, then yeah, you're much more likely to go and hang out with people and that does lend itself to sex more than you know staying at home on your phone does (laughs) right which i know that probably a lot of people the knee-jerk reaction is it is better to hang out with people in person i i personally think it's more complicated than that i see you know people do depend on technology at a really high rate that might not be healthy but also like it's not necessarily like face value better Right. one or the other. There's uh, right. there's more to it than just like, this one is obviously the better one, I think. Right.
1: Oh, there's definitely trade-offs. Like, there, this is like, oh, no, this happened, but this happened, which would you choose? Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, looking back, you're like, I don't know which one I would choose. For me, I would choose my own thing. And I'm like, yeah, it was much better for me to be isolated with my small group of friends uh, instead of trying to navigate social media where I would like pour my feelings out and regret, pour my feelings out. Zynga. Ah... <sighs> <sighs>
0: I'm so sad. I can't find that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so here's another quote: The result is that anyone who isn't sexual enough or sexual in the right way becomes lesser. The label of asexual should be value neutral. It should indicate little more than sexual orientation. Instead, asexual implies a slew of other negative associations: passionless, uptight, boring, robotic, cold, prude, frigid, lacking, broken. These, especially broken, are the words aces use again and again to describe how we are perceived and made to. Feel. Yeah, it is interesting how we have, especially when it comes to women, but I, for sure with men as well, it's just different. We have just all of these ideas and assumptions around, and there, a lot of them are contradictory around sex and wanting sex and how much sex. Huh. But speaking of men, there is a whole chapter on the male ace experience. So here's a quote about that. Surveys of the ace community show that far more women identify as asexual than men. About 63% versus 11%, according to the most recent numbers. Likely in part because asexuality is a greater challenge to male sexual stereotypes. Men are taught they are not men and therefore not deserving of respect or status unless they can sleep with as many women as possible. Right. And like I said, she does talk about the experience of gay men, feeling kind of a similar thing. Like, you're not really a gay man unless you're having a lot of sex. But also, I thought this was interesting because she brought in the idea of incels and entitlement and how a lot of male aces have to be like, but I'm not that. Or like the assumptions that, oh, you're an incel or, oh, you're something. Right. Like, you're going to be violent or angry. And again, coming back to this idea of entitlement, like we talked about marital rape in the last one. But this idea that men and white men generally are entitled to sex with not, not just women, but like pretty white women. Right. And that it just shows this is another way where this narrative, this idea, this assumption that everyone wants sex and that people are entitled to sex or certain groups are entitled to sex um, is so damaging and dangerous and violent. And, and we've talked about that before, for sure, of the violence that has resulted from that. Right. But I hadn't really thought about that, of kind of have male aces having to fend that off. <laughs> like, right.
1: That but I'm not an incel. I mean, that's definitely the conversation is, if you are ace, uh, does that make you effeminate? Because you are not, again, if we're looking at sexist power, which is often the conversation... Then you have none, so therefore you're not a true man, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that's so uh, every you know red-blooded man's uh, right. That's the way their body is. That uh, they have no control. We know this narrative. We've heard this narrative. This is the excuse that we get for rape, for violence, as we talked about before. And what does it look like for a guy to be like, No, really, I don't care i don't want it i don't know it and i think she did a really great job and when she brought in the interview with the other uh man who was talking about the fact that in his marriage he just did it because it was assumed he needed to do it and Mm -hmm. it wasn't because he wanted to but because it was i'm a man i'm in a a relationship i gotta initiate sex and it was more of a routine more Mm -hmm. than anything else and then when his partner was like No, no no i'm good he was like oh Really? <laughs> Me too, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. And right. to really have to retrain himself because for men, as they grow older, as they grow up, they are taught typically, not all the time. Not all men, I know, whatever. But <laughs> is that this is your duty as a man. This is who you are as a man. And that same narrative of men think about sex more than da da da, da how many yeah. times a day, and that's all they think about, and that's all they see in women, or their partner is sex, 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 sex in the story. And then mm-hmm. if you're not, then you're not normal. You're not a virile man of the right. world. And that conversation yeah. is how harmful it is. And so many ace men and this may be the thing is so that they're not, they're not ace. They're just not identifying because they've gotten into a routine to show off their manliness, mm-hmm. which is sad. And honestly, I had a uh, uh, way back, uh, not my personal situation where I'm looking at a couple that did not work. And mm-hmm. she was really, really frustrated because she wanted sex and she wanted to have children. and He never wanted to touch her. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point that it got volatile. Yeah. And it just, it, there was so much miscommunication and breakdown. And don't get me wrong, there was some other things wrong yeah. with this relationship. But yeah. my first thought was like, he may be asexual. And instead of coming to terms with being that way, he's mm-hmm. blaming it on her and, getting, and lashing out and angry because he can't, he's been told for so long right. by this toxic idea of masculinity that not yeah. doing so and admitting it then he is not a man. And therefore, he can't be head of the household. And yes, there's a lot of religious stigma to that. And on top of that, because he's so angry and unwilling to talk about it, he's completely lashing out and blaming her for everything else and making it her fault. And she's mm-hmm. believing it. Like there's so yeah. many things to that. that's like, oh, Jesus, this is what yeah. can happen if we're not honest with ourselves. And that's probably a bigger portion of those numbers, I would say.
0: Yeah, and... That is, it's another thing that she talks about in this book that I really connected with because I've also felt like I want to be desired and I want to be like sexually desired, even though I don't want sex. Mm -hmm. And like I want, people will say like, well, why do you dress so, you know, sexily or whatever? I'm not necessarily talking about me in this case, but like that's something that will come up with asexual people. Why do you do that if you don't want to have sex? Because it is powerful. And like something that you might want, like it feels good to be sexually desired, but it is also painful. I can totally understand of like, if I'm not feeling that way, if we're in a relationship with somebody and I'm not feeling that way about them just because I don't generally feel that way, it can be hard not to take that very personally. like, Oh, well, then something's wrong with me. I'm not desirable or I'm not physically attractive or something like that. And that, you know it sucks cuz it's not <laughs> necessarily the
1: case but it's just right how how it works um, for but me again you're not dressing for someone and you're not yes. trying to entice someone so it's not and, and and you shouldn't have to it could be just for you point blank. Mm -hmm. Looking nice and feeling good about yourself is not a bad thing. Wanting to be wanted, it's not a bad thing. I feel like that goes in everything. Once again, for myself, I have this fear that no one likes me and I'm not likable. And I'm I'm very much like, uh, people just like the outside me and then getting to know me they're really, oh, she's tiresome. And that's understandable to an extent to that point that I'm like, yeah, I want to feel included and loved and I don't want to be left out. And there's so much of that because for so long for my own trauma, and I'm sure I'm going to come to this for a happy hour and or a Monday mini, my own trauma meant I was unwanted, point blank. I was just an afterthought and I'm here and people don't actually want me. Like that's As an orphan, and I say that in the very open term that I was, That is absolutely, I was tossed about. I was seen as unwanted. And then even in my family, as much as they love me, they do, I was always othered. And it Mm -hmm. is. And it's and it's kind of that, I'm 40 years old and still dealing with that because of situations like this. But wanting to be truly wanted, if you truly believe it, that is human nature. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's also what society has told us, that if you are of value, you will be seen. Yep. And that's the end of that story. Unfortunately, and we have to figure out for ourselves how to change our own uh, interpretation, which sucks. Yes, (laughs) it does. (laughs) And she keeps writing, it is a failure of society if anyone needs to say, I have a partner to turn someone down. And it's a failure of society if anyone needs to invoke a sexual orientation to avoid unwanted sex because saying no doesn't do the job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this was kind of a culmination of all of these things we've been talking about of, you know, people questioning your sexuality when you say it and being like, oh, that just means you don't want to have sex with me and taking it really personally or whatever it is. Like, we should live in a place as we've been saying where for whatever the reason, no, is that's it. I don't have to explain it to you. (laughs) That's just the end.
1: And also, again, this is that same conversation of Hearing no and feeling rejected and taking that personally. Yeah. We, we have to let that go. Like, mm-hmm. this is not a rejection. It's just where I am today. And if I don't want to do this, I shouldn't have to feel obligated mm-hmm. to make you feel better. So, like right. violating my own sense of self in order to make you feel comfortable. And that's that whole thing of, yeah we've gotten to this point that that's more acceptable than we say that as being nice and kind when in actuality it's harmful for us so is it really nice and kind? Or have we continued to feed into the stigma that no is bad? Right. Right, right, right.
0: Here's another quote. Life is a continuous process of unlearning for minorities and anyone with less power. These groups, women, people of color, and in the next chapter, disabled people, can find it very difficult to claim asexuality because it looks so much like the product of sexism, racism, ableism, and other forms of violence. The legacy of this violence is that those who belong to a group that has been controlled must do extra work to figure out the extent to which we are still being controlled
1: which is a lot of what we've been talking about. Right. Um, And she continues on, when it comes to race, so many different complicated threads keep the ace community white. And I found this very interesting, by the way. So I'm really glad we're getting into this. Asexuality, she says, has been idealized and it has been denied. Both are problematic. Asexuality is tied to whiteness because White people, and especially white women, are often assumed to be sexually, quote, pure. Whereas Black and Latinx people are often considered hypersexual. And I would put Asian people in there as well. And these racialized sexual stereotypes are a form of control themselves. At the same time, asexuality can also look suspiciously similar to racial tropes, like the Mammy or the China doll, which, again, keeps people of color away. So, yeah, I did find this interesting because she is a woman of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she talks, she didn't include Asian people in the hypersexualized. but I'm like, there's a lot, like, that's the whole Asian fetish level, uh, which includes for some, like, Not necessarily all of anime, but a lot of anime got twisted into very hyper-sexualized Asian women, like in in general, whether it's torture porn or any of that. And again, I know this is different from anime. Like, I I get it. There's a love and appreciation, and it is beautiful, and I think it's wonderful. But when we're talking about that negative stereotype and we see that hentai type of anime porn that gets so, like, oh skewed... To the point that it's on, super, like on supernatural, the level of Asian fetishism in there is like, why? Why was this necessary, <laughs> y'all? Right. Why was who? Who in your group is doing this? Stop yeah. it! But that is that characterization that's overly sexualizes women. Once again, kind of again, the Atlanta shooting, and I, and I, I know this was written before all of that happened, but I, I found that interesting that she took that out and she didn't include that and put them in the China doll category. Which, by the way, China doll category actually was also a sexualized manner too and not the sweet uh i guess maybe this is more the tiger mom maybe level in that scene Mm. of like asexual she's not hypersexual she's controlled and and prudish essentially Mm -hmm. and harsh so i Mm -hmm. I, I could see it that way but i I found that interesting that she left that differently and maybe it's because that's how she sees herself in Mm -hmm. this but
0: anyway, that was just a side note. Yeah, I mean, so many things were tied into this, because this also reminds me of the, of the episodes we did on virginity and like that mm-hmm. whole idea of like that being sexualized, almost like the lack of sexual experience mm-hmm. being sexualized, which I have seen a lot, actually, now that I think about it in fan fiction too. Interesting. But this is another thing going back to like those stereotypes that we were talking about of like always trying to fight them and wondering why you're trying to fight them. Like, why do I want something? Is it me that actually wants it? Or is it some kind of programming I've absorbed? Um, feeling alienated from multiple communities because as we said, Shen did interview people from all types of communities. And yeah, this is assumption that only white people can be ace because it's already like not that well-known but even that is pretty white. And so if you never hear about it, like I said, I wouldn't have who knew who knows if I'd never heard about it on this show what what would happen. But that was really fascinating and it's just like another layer of questioning that you have to do about right. who you are and how you identify. And that I mean that being said, I did want to briefly touch on rep- representation because that is important. And that is a way that people can see that this exists. And one of the things people talked about, which is something I talked about, was Todd from BoJack Horseman. And people right. were like, that's not when I learned. That's when I was like, oh my God, that's me. So if you haven't seen it, yeah, there's a whole arc where Todd realizes he's asexual and he like creates an app. And he has a really supportive like semi-girlfriend who's totally like, okay, yeah, but uh, I want to read a quote about that. Cherished as he is, Todd is not a perfect solution. For one, Bojack has ended, and so have Game of Thrones and Shadowhunters. There are now zero asexual characters on primetime television, according to the Glad Media Institute, which tracks queer characters in television and started including asexual characters a few years ago. Yeah. Um, as we've discussed in recent Listener Mail episodes, though, uh, there's more going on outside of primetime television, perhaps. Perhaps. And here's another quote. There exists no perfect ironclad formula for understanding how sexuality and health interact, but that hasn't prevented people from believing an elegant but incorrect statement. People who don't want sex are sick, and people who are sick, that is mentally or physically disabled or different in some way, don't want sex. So this is, I mean, there is so much in that chapter. Um, And this is something I really struggled with, with like the eating disorder and trauma, like thinking that something has to be wrong. Right. This means I'm not healthy. And and I was thinking about it in terms of uh, we have a running joke on the other podcast I do savor. Everything was an aphrodisiac at one point. And that's just pretty telling that that's there's a long history of believing that low sex drive means something is wrong with you and something needs to be fixed. And I'm not saying that, that that's never an issue and it's never a problem, but that I mean, you know, it's also a joke too about how much money we put into Viagra. And it's just so important and such a kind of understood thing that Yeah, no sex drive means something is not right here.
1: Right. And I do, yeah, and also to come back to, like, those who are physically disabled, talking about the fact that they couldn't even recognize they were asexual because they just assumed it was their disability and or was told that it was Mm -hmm. just their disability. In actuality, no, this is exactly who they are. And there are people, obviously, who are sexual that are disabled. And this is nonsense to assume automatically, and which does happen a lot, that physical yeah. disabled are automatically yeah. asexual. And that's almost like a running joke. And it's like, that's so, so harmful for yes. both communities. So that why would you do this? And why would we assume this? And why would we allow this as a conversation? But yeah, the double down on, again, like, can you, like, I cannot imagine having to defend myself either way and be like, why would you have this as a narrative? Please stop it. Yes. It's such an ableist trope.
0: Right, Yeah. Here's yeah, here's another quote about that. Many aces were once allo's diagnosed with a disorder and prescribed hormones off label because they learned about asexuality and decided they were fine as is. A change in perspective is all that is necessary to switch from one to the other from sick to well, disordered to different. So that's more about like changing your mindset in this case of like maybe nothing's wrong with me and I don't need to be taking these things to up my sex drive, which we were constantly bombarded with. But there is a whole chapter about, yeah, the disabled community and that double whammy. And yeah, we have a quote from it, actually.
1: So she says, "'You can be asexual if your disability caused your asexuality, and you can be asexual if sexual trauma caused you asexuality, and you can be asexual if you lose your sexual desire later in life.'" The asexual community should be there to help in all these cases. You don't have to be part of the asexual community forever. But the lesson that a happy life for aces is possible regardless of origin is one that is important and one that includes you too. It's for you even if you don't identify as ace. If asexuality is fine, so is every other form of low sexual desire or so-called sexual dysfunction. Anyone who has any form of desire or attraction or a higher the normal can still be okay. Better than okay.
0: Yes. Yes. And then I wanted to include this one because this was something that really fascinated me So she wrote, Aces know that sex is not always the dividing line that determines whether a relationship is romantic. We take another look and say, maybe you're in love with your friend, even though you're not sexually attracted to her. Questions about the definition of romantic love are the starting point for Aces to think about love and romance in unexpected ways, from new explicit categories beyond friendship and romance to the opportunities, legal, social, and more, of a world where romantic love is not the type of love valued above all others. Asexuality destabilizes the way people think about relationships, starting with the belief that passionate bonds must always have sex at the Root. Yes, yes. Yes. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Because I do, I I just feel very passionately about people and I care about people a lot. And I do, I feel like I do thinking about it like this and going really back to my core and questioning things and then questioning my worldview and like what does relationship look like and what can it look like. It's been, it's been really liberating and interesting. I'm just somebody who's like a nerd about that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I think that that's good. I I mean, I would, again, this is not just for asexual people. I would advise everybody to ask yourself these questions and think about how how things can look and, and why just asking, being mindful and asking questions about yourself. Right.
1: And goes on to say, it's already taken for granted that sexual desire doesn't need to include infatuation or caring. One night stands and f- buddy arrangements are all explicitly sexual and explicitly non-romantic. The opposite conclusion that for some, infatuation never included never turns into sexual desires. It's harder for people to accept, at least in the West. And yeah, that's very true and on point.
0: That's true. I always think of how there's like a word for friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. But there's not really... Just friends. (laughs) No, but I mean, like being kind of (laughs) in a relationship, the benefits there
1: is sex. Right. But what if the benefits wasn't sex? (laughs) Right. That's just friendship. (laughs) That's just the actual. The other part is the added. (laughs) (laughs) And then as
0: we wrap up here, so much was covered in this book. And some of it, it's just frustrating how some of it feels so basic. Like, I should have known this already. But just hearing, reading about it, I was like, oh, yeah. But one thing that she wrote about was like, you can ask things of others too. You can ask them to compromise. And that should be just, I should have known that already. But that's something I still struggle with. And I just always felt so much guilt not having sex. And it was always about the other person, even though she also writes about how in her relationship, a lot of times she's the one that feels pressure to have sex and the other person might be like, no, it's cool. But she has that. I guess because it's not like a natural thing you're feeling. So you're kind of trying to gauge what is quote unquote normal. (laughs) and I'm wanting to do that for someone else. But yeah, I don't know why that. I was like, yes, I can not ask things of other people. <laughs> yeah, but she also goes into, like we talked about desire for a little bit, different types of love and relationships, constant questioning of why you want to have sex and what happens if you remove that question, if you remove it as the dominant force in all relationships. She talks about negotiation in the kink community, duty to have sex, which we also talked about, Um, and breaking down consent and rape and sex and all those ideas.
1: Right. Um, I really did like how she talked about the kink community. And we talked about it in our episode We did. we brought in uh, them. And the, the fact that they communicate and are able to understand each other and how uh, they've created a safe environment. And that's why people who are ace really are love this environment because you're able to open everything and nothing is taboo, including yeah. lack of sex and lack of mm-hmm. penetration. And being able to be, as you were, let's say, like being on the edge of something and enjoying just that without mm-hmm. the physical touch necessarily. And and I found that really interesting because, yeah, we talked about that, that even though things can go awry, the
0: mm-hmm. kink
1: community has a better understanding of consent and understanding that this is negotiable. This is non-negotiable. Right. Let's talk about it. Uh, and I thought it was like, yeah, just having that reminder of like, yeah, that they were really right on and just what that looks like beyond just the community and into personal relationships and being able to actually walk and talk things through. But I also, uh, yeah, there was a bit of a moment where I had a, and I think it's because I have a background in working with uh, sexual assault victims, as well as, you know, you and I are both traumatized victims uh, from past when she was talking about consent and the language between rape and sex. And of course, that narrative of uh, that rape is not sex Essentially, yeah. and that going back and forth. And I understood exactly what she was talking about in having, because we talked about it when we did the book club with Come As You Are, um, yeah. about talking about the gray levels. So, having again a spectrum of consent and what that can look like. And when she was talking about it, it was obviously for a people to understand, or those who who are trying to learn this about themselves, to understand that just because it's consent, it doesn't mean it's consent, uh, true consent, and having those level to uh, enthusiastic from coerce. And one of the things that I wanted to get back to and have this thing is like, it's really, really dangerous. This conversation is very, very important. But when it comes to context of black and white law, which is what they operated on, the guilty, not guilty verdict, of Mm -hmm. law, how this can be really, really misconstrued in the court communities and how a defense lawyer could take this and run with it Mm -hmm. into saying, see, it may not have been, uh, it was not rape because there was some type of consent. And even to the point that we've talked about the fact that we have to be black and white about it because they even take the she went home with him, passed out, that was consent. In the story, um, which is what we know it's like, no, that's not true. If she couldn't say yes, then right. she couldn't say no. So we need to understand that that was not consent, period. But that, there's that, again, she's not talking about that. And we know this. I know this beyond that. But I'm giving to example of like how, yes, I really wish there was a better way to present this as a law enforcement or a court level of conversation, but because they do not and they care not to. Like, that's the biggest yeah. thing. This is not something they care to change ever because the question of, but what about him? But what about the perpetrator? He has rights to. And forgetting that her rights had been violated altogether in this conversation, and then yeah, even talking about the marital aspect of rape, that I, I think even in some courts, even in some states, they still haven't put that in their books. Yeah,
0: I think so. And
1: and we need to talk about that. It's like, eh. and so if it's there, then it can be presented, and it will stand until it is seen and over. Like have to go through all the constitutional levels, which oftentimes doesn't happen. So there's so many things that we can talk about this, but in that age of consent, like, yes, there are these levels, but with the reason, the breaking between the no consent, this is rape, this is sex. And I fall to the coerced consent means it's rape. Like, Mm -hmm. I will say this to this day, like, to the point that just because they finally talked you into giving it up doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you weren't raped. You were. It was. It was a violation of your rights. They held you, essentially, until you said yes. And that way, they can be, you know, told, they didn't fight me. Type of level. right, mm-hmm. so there's so many layers to this, and yeah, absolutely, it's a societal thing that we need to look at. But what we know of what we're seeing today in the court's judicial system, they really cite on the caution of the patriarchy, and yeah. unfortunately, we have to be that blunt. But maybe may- pushing that line and recognizing, hey, if you're that person who has to push someone to have sex, you're gross, and you're mm-hmm. violating that person. Like that mm-hmm. that's the point that we need to get to in that if at any point they change their mind, they have yeah. that right and that's when you stop. So that is that level of like anything beyond consent, enthusiastic consent is a no. And yeah. should be able to be prosecuted to be, my, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it, it reminded me. I mean, it reminded me of a lot of things. It reminded me of the whole Aziz Ansari thing and how a lot of mostly women were like, yes, I hear that. And a lot of mostly men were like,
1: what? <laughs> oh no, I had several women who told me that. They're like, what? That's not she's complaining. She's making victims look bad.
0: Yeah, I I mean I heard women for sure, but it was mostly men in my in my experience. Yeah. But just kind of that level. And then also, especially when I was younger, there was definitely things and yeah, I mean I am asexual, so I'm speaking from that experience, but I there were definitely things I agreed to because I thought I should want to agree to them and then later just felt violated, like felt gross right. and wrong and like hurt. And it's hard to pinpoint what that is because it's like, well, I, you know, I said yes and I thought I wanted it. But yeah, that being said, I I was like, just taking away, like most of this book, you know, ask questions and we, there's too many things that we're sort of relying on assumptions on or have been kind of indoctrinated in. And obviously, this is a two-parter, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot we could discuss. I did want to end on this quote The goal of ace liberation is simply the goal of true sexual and romantic freedom for everyone. A society that is welcoming to aces can never be compatible with rape culture, with misogyny, racism, ableism, homophobia, and transphobia, with current hierarchies of romance and friendship and contractual notions of consent. It is a society that respects choices and highlights the pleasure that can be found everywhere in our lives. I believe that all of this is possible. Aww. I Mm -hmm. hope so. And yeah, to be clear, like, I, I, we touched on this but she's not there's definitely problems in the asexual community and there has been for since it's existed it's not different than any other community in that regard but um, yeah I thought that was a very helpful note to end on yeah
1: uh, yeah again I think she does a great job in aligning this with yeah an implication of what society looks like because that could be said for all of these things liberation for all peoples in general and that conversation, just like you know, low key TLDRing this thing, is like we should allow for choice and freedom to be comfortable in our choice, as long as it's not harming others or mm-hmm. yourself. I don't understand this level. Like, I if that there's something on you, that's on you. If you <laughs> feel a bias for some reason, you need to pick through why you have this bias. Not tell them something that they are doing something wrong. And that's either it's you you don't think it's feminist enough or you think it's too ridiculous. Like any of those things is like, that's on you as the individual who's having this opinion because you cannot accept and can't move past this. Right,
0: right, right. right. Yep, ask more questions. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Always. Well, definitely check this book out if you haven't already. As always, we would love to hear from you, book suggestions or otherwise. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.